0: Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. Once again, my name is Nate Antetomaso. Here's my co-host, Evan Knowles. How you doing?
1: Doing well. How's everybody else? That's a longer uh, intro than you usually yeah, do. Yeah, well, it's trying to change it up from episode to episode.
0: Picking the game up a little yeah, bit? Yeah. I like
1: that. Increased effort. That's all we like to see. Yep.
0: <laughs> um, so we have another guest uh, today. We're, we're super excited about this one, of course. Um, it's Tom Martin. How you doing, man? Good. How are you all doing? Thank nice. you for coming and joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Awesome. Evan, do you kind of want to do a little bit of intro about how you yeah. met Tom and we can go from there?
1: Yeah, so I met Tom probably four years ago. I was a sophomore in college, just joined Fuji, uh, and Tom was kind of around in the early days of Fuji, uh, kind of hanging out, and I met you you know, through Greg and Eric, and uh, just kind of hit it off. You know, He was somebody I was interested in after a few dinners and wanted to keep that relationship because he seemed really involved in the Startup community and there at EKU. Um, So that's kind of how I met Tom and we've kept in touch and he's a great guy. So he's a great guest
2: to have on the show. Well, at the time I was at the Council on Post-Secondary Education uh, when you and I met. Um, uh, And one of the things that was interesting about meeting you was that you were a college student who was working with Greg and Eric and weren't getting paid. Anything, yeah. If I recall correctly, and you were there all the time, yeah. Every time I popped in, you were there. So, great example of students who are what is it in not in it for me necessarily, but what is the value that I might get out of it later, not expecting anything in return, and that's benefited, oh yeah, uh, you to a great extent. So yeah. uh, that's uh, kudos to you for having having done that, and for uh, Greg and Eric to have been able to select such a good uh, good first. First uh, employee right out of the gate. Yeah. yeah, I appreciate that. get them too,
1: Gaston. No, it was I fun. I want the questions to be easier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you no, know, the early days of Fuji were fun enough that you know it was better than school. I enjoyed it more than school, so that I really had you know no other reason to not be around. Yeah. You know, well, and fun. I met
2: Greg um, at a at a pitch competition that was held downtown in Lexington, and at that time he was running a company called we style mm-hmm. and we exchanged cards. We talked for a little bit. I thought, well, this guy's really got something on the ball. And then saw another guy who was wearing uh, kind of high heat or high water, uh, pants and had on some weird socks. And I thought, well, who is that guy? <laughs> and then they introduced him as drew a parish from make time. And he went up and just gave a great presentation. I thought, wow, this is, I've met two great guys and just, a uh, a matter of five or six minutes. So uh, those pitch competitions, where you have an opportunity to centralize really talented people and bring them together, is always a good is always a good fortuitous mix for people. Yeah. Do you remember
0: what organization put that on or something? I've never heard of a pitch competition where Make Time and Fuji had pitched together.
2: Well, at the That's time, what? it was We Style. Oh yeah, and yeah. Make yeah time. We, so, we style. and and how Greg and I continued to stay in contact was that night in the Wall Street Journal, the B section, the Marketplace section of the Wall Street Journal, uh, there was a, an article about some moves that Instagram was making
0: yeah.
2: uh, with their product. And I texted that to Greg because I just had his card. And I pulled it out of my wallet and texted him and said, Hey, this is Tom Martin. We just met, but how does this affect your model? And he said, Oh, that kills it. And, <laughs> and that was... This is Literally honest. on a Monday, yeah, and by Tuesday, he and Eric had their next idea. Uh and by and then he and I bumped into each other uh at a no, I'm sorry, we didn't bump into each other. He called me and said, Hey, I've got another idea, you wanna hear about it? Yeah. And we met at a Starbucks and he told me about it, and I'm thinking, You were just put out of business two days ago. So it was yeah. just, you know, one of the things when we think about uh entrepreneurs and startups and kind of that uh uh, risk tolerance and that uh, immunity from criticism and immunity from um, failure. Uh, from failure is that they were ready to go with the next thing, yeah. and uh, that and that turned out to be Fuji. Turned out to be Fuji. So,
0: wow, that's cool. Cool backstory there. So, so let's dive into a couple of the things that that we touched on. Evan, you said that it was better than school, and then you brought up entrepreneurship and innovation. Mm-hmm. You're involved with both of those things, intimately. You're involved with innovation at EKU, Eastern Kentucky mm-hmm. University, mm-hmm. right? Can you talk a little bit about your position there and, sure. and what you do over there?
2: Well, so currently I am the executive director for the Center for Economic Development, Entrepreneurship, and Technology. That a long. Uh, that's a long title. <laughs> and then when you add on the fact that I'm also... I have a joint appointment, so I'm also an assistant professor of management. That's a lot to put on a business card. Yeah. (laughs) Um, uh, But the reason that I do that at Eastern Kentucky is because of the work that I did at the Council on Post-Secondary Education, Mm -hmm. where I was uh, put in charge of the research agenda for the state of Kentucky. So Council on Post-Secondary Education is a uh, coordinating board for higher education uh, that helps try to... Organized the activities of uh, universities uh, getting them kind of going all down the same track for the betterment of all kentuckians and so there uh, was a component of that strategic agenda for the entire state, which was made up of uh, research and innovation and they turned it over to me and said, What do you want to do with it and I said, Well, I want to go and visit some other states that are doing this very well yeah and I went to North Carolina and I spent a week at Chapel Hill and spent a week at North Carolina State learning a lot about this area of of university function and found that top uh, top performing universities were taking not only their uh, research not only were they publishing a lot of research but they were commercializing their research Mm -hmm. particularly at research one universities like the University of Kentucky like a University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and uh, had the great privilege to meet uh, several uh, innovators within those universities and brought that back to Kentucky and tried to to do some of that work statewide, and there wasn't a lot of traction for that uh, initially because it wasn't in Kentucky's wheelhouse to be doing that work. That's a lot different from today, so that was in twenty. 20- 2012, 2013, yeah. but now in 2018, um, a lot of the universities are thinking about innovation and entrepreneurship in a big way, um, and that's what I'm doing at EKU. Eastern Kentucky University, being a comprehensive university, we're primarily a teaching university. We're, we're at a school of opportunity. We're largely about instruction, but we do have research. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have faculty that take their research and they commercialize it, not on a scale Anywhere near the University of Kentucky, but certainly we should be engaged in that space, and we should be uh, we should be uh, advocating and accelerating the intellectual and cultural um, vitality of the part of the the state that we service, which is the twenty two counties that we serve in Eastern Kentucky. <clears throat> All that's to say that uh, take someone like Evan who uh, went to the University of Kentucky and and said I got a lot more out of the Fuji experience than I did the yeah. university experience. Universities are trying to turn that corner and, and tie the, the theoretical application of what's being done in the classroom to the real world application. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's being done uh, a lot better than it, than it used to be done. Hmm. So from the time you got to EKU to now, what's changed in your
1: eyes? What's, what's kind of big, been, been the big drivers of change there?
2: At, at Eastern? Yeah. Well, having a president, uh, President Benson, uh, Michael Benson, uh, who accepts that uh, universities have to be constantly adapting and uh, uh, innovating. Uh, he came to campus with a uh, make-no-little-plans agenda. Mm-hmm. The university needs to be having a bigger impact on our communities, and so uh, with that, I was able to to leverage uh that vision into how do we how do we improve our town gown relationships, how do we uh make EK I mean EKU is the uh largest employer in the county. It's the um it centralizes diverse talent like I was talking about earlier. We have faculty that come from all over the country and all over the world. We centralize them in Richmond uh and they they teach students and we send those students out. UK does that Moorhead, all the public universities Uh, have that have that uh, uh, quality about them and so it's just moving more in that direction and it's a slow process because again we're a teaching university but it's it's uh, it's work that I enjoy doing and uh, I never I never wake up and think gosh I have nothing to do today there's there's plenty to do so you keep referring to it as a teaching
1: university (coughs) versus what are some of the other types of universities is that Is that a title or how does it compare to U.K.? What do you mean by that? Yeah, so
2: U.K. is a Research One university. Their primary uh, mission is uh, research. They're also the land-grant university. So they uh, they have a presence in all 120 counties in Kentucky. Eastern Kentucky University is a comprehensive regional university. We have a service region of 22 counties. Even though we have a presence across the state and we have a presence globally, Uh, That is, uh, uh, our concentration is really in eastern Kentucky. Uh, UK uh, has the apparatus, has has the research, uh, has the medical school, has Mm -hmm. the engineering school um, on a much larger scale that can uh, can take those ideas that are being generated in the lab or in the classroom and then accelerating them out to be uh, commercialized. How many students are at EKU? Sixteen thousand five hundred, roughly. 16? Yeah. So, and UK has over thirty. Yeah, that's so about it's a, half. Yeah, it's a much, it's a much, uh, UK is a much bigger operation. Mm-hmm.
0: What uh, you said that you bring up the twenty-two counties. Mm-hmm. Um, what specifically does that mean, like, because people can go to EKU from all over Kentucky, all over the country.
2: Absolutely. So what, what is the tie to those
0: counties? Well, the regional
2: universities. So there's there's uh, Eastern, Moorhead, Murray. Northern Kentucky University, Western Kentucky University, they all have a geographic responsibility. UK has responsibility for the entire state, mm-hmm. uh, but those those comprehensive slash regional universities have a geographic responsibility for uh, certain counties. So ours is twenty two. I don't know, can't remember what the other ones are, but they have similar service regions that they mm-hmm. that they focus on. Uh, Murray is obviously. Uh, out west um we we have some uh we're next to morehead morehead and e k u compromise most of whatever everything taking place i seventy five east mm-hmm. uh eastern Kentucky or morehead uh, has some uh, focus on it. i wouldn't say it's responsibility but it's it's a focus and we should be we should be uh, uh, talking about that intellectual and cultural and economic vitality we should be engaged in accelerating uh, those activities in, in those regions. Mm-hmm. So, let's try to dig in a little bit on what your like, day-to-day
1: is, because I sat in on one of your classes. Uh, it seemed like a really fun class. Can you kind of speak about some of the initiatives and classes that you've you know been a part of at, UK, at EKU and brought to the table?
2: Well, so now you're talking about uh, the faculty side. Uh, so, I teach uh, an innovation and entrepreneurship class um, and I teach an applied entrepreneurship class and I teach uh, 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 principles of management class as well but when we're thinking about innovation and entrepreneurship <clears throat> that course is uh, focused on helping students understand where do good ideas come from um, how do we how do we take ideas and then how do we execute on those ideas yeah uh, understanding that um, that any Anything that you uh, want to do as a, as a student at our university or anywhere else, frankly, um, whatever you have a passion for, whatever you're obsessed with, is that through uh, through this lens of entrepreneurial thinking, you can take that passion. And if you understand risk and you understand that you may have to create your own job in that space, that uh, you can do anything that you want. Uh, so you were a finance major, economics and finance finance major at at, at uk so was that what you you said when i when you went into school it's like i want to be a finance and economics major uh i really just did it because i you know
1: didn't really know i mean it sounded like something i wanted to do i knew i wanted to do business didn't necessarily know i wanted to do entrepreneurship did you know Uh, what
0: did you have like a job in mind like did you want to be a i
1: mean when i came to college i wanted to be an architect. So why didn't you, why didn't you I major? Because once I looked more into that and researched, it took like ten years to exactly. have your own firm and to do what you really wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was too long of a timetable because I, you know, didn't like the idea of taking that long to get to your own, you know, position where you could, you know, design people's homes and in your really own fast firm and break things. Yeah, and I didn't. <laughs> that wasn't quick enough for me, and I kind of went the business route because yeah. you know I got the new dorms. Mm-hmm. There was a business LLP that I could live in. Uh, My family, you know, was in business, so I just, you know,
2: kind of did it because it was something I was automatically, you know, kind of attracted to. And that's worked out well for you. Yeah. Um, uh, But oftentimes we have students that are uh, coming into, particularly when we're thinking about the business school, we have students that come into uh, majoring in business. And if I'm in a room full of, particularly just this past year, 32 freshmen, Mm -hmm. Uh, in a room that all had decided they wanted to major in business, I said, tell me uh, why you all are majoring in business. And not one of them had a good answer. It was my parents wanted me to major in business. Uh, I couldn't think of anything else you wanted to do. And I said, so when you're laying there in your bed as a 16-year-old looking at the little golden uh, neon stars on your ceiling, you lean back and said, I want to major in accounting. yeah. (laughs) And I said, well, no, that's not what I want to do. <laughs> oh, so you want to major in international business? It's not that I'm trying to kick you out of our college. I mean, we're, you're here, so uh, we'll make the best of it. But, you know, what did you want to do? Well, I wanted to be a screenwriter. Yeah. Okay, well, then why don't you go, uh, why don't you major in English? Well, because yeah. someone's told me that you can't make it there. And that's just simply not true. So one of the things that I'm trying to uh, change the culture at at uh, EKU, and there's a lot of other, it's not just me, but a lot of professors uh, is that the university can be a place where you can come and major in anything, but we need you to understand the risk associated with that and uh, how to create your own job so if you're're if you 're if you're comfortable with risk and you 're comfortable with thinking about how to create your own job, then go major in English and be a screenwriter. Uh, the example that I use in fact last semester when I taught uh, the uh, innovation entrepreneurship class the entire semester we used. Lynn manuel Miranda as an example for That's our awesome. class. Okay, so do you know who he is? Yeah. Do you know who he is, Evan? Okay, so yeah. Evan doesn't know who he is. So Nate, who's Ham- Lynn manuel Miranda? Hamilton, writer, director, star, Moana. He did all the music for right. You You'd probably recognize him. So too. so Lynn manuel Miranda majored in, and I lead this with my students, two of the most worthless majors that can be ever conceived. One was music direction, and the other was like film editing or something. And my students are, are, you know, have these perplexed looks. He's, he's degrading higher education. Yeah. Well, it turns yeah. out that what Miranda did was, is that he, when he started writing Hamilton, here's what he knew ahead of time, because he was already, he'd already written In the Heights, and he won the Tony, but he said, mm-hmm. I'm going to work on this thing. I've read this biography by Ron Chernow about Alexander Hamilton. This is a, at first he thought it was a, uh, a hip-hop concept album. So he didn't even understand what it was at first. Uh, but he he wrote one song. It took him one year to write one song, which was the first song, yeah. the Alexander Hamilton song, which is about six or seven minutes long. It took him one year to write that song. There are forty six songs on that uh, on the uh, Broadway album. So if it took him one year to write one song, and it took him another year to write the second song, the other forty plus songs he. He got done a lot faster because people came in and helped him and and kind of uh, kind of organized his time and all that kind of stuff. But seven years it took from concept to concrete. It was seven years. Mm-hmm. And uh, Broadway plays uh, the failure rate for Broadway plays is eighty hmm. percent. So when you say you know an architect takes a long time to be an architect, that's true. To write a play takes a long time. Yeah. And I know ahead of time it's going to be 80% failure rate. Well, what are you willing to do, Evan? What are you willing to do, Nate, that you're willing to say, this is going to take me five or six years. The failure rate is four out of five, and I'm going to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. That's what we need to have more students yeah. thinking about when it comes to uh, comes to programs. Because while we say today, and we we hear this, from a public policy perspective, is that, oh, we need more STEM degrees. We need more scientists. We need more engineers. We need more mathematicians. Certainly having those things is a good thing. But I heard your all's podcast last week, and you're talking about doing things downtown. What do you want to do downtown? Is it music-related? Is it art-related? Is it, is it liberal arts-related? Or is it engineering-related? I would imagine that you want to go do something that's fun yeah. and arts-related. And so we need people to do that as well. Mm-hmm. it's not we, we don't need everybody we don't need sixteen thousand five hundred students majoring in art, yeah but we do need some of them majoring in art so that we have something to go to The reason that Amazon is not uh coming to Kentucky for their second headquarters is not because of right to work or because of a focus on stem or advanced manufacturing it's because we don 't have a supply of museums if you look at the cities that are considered finalists for amazon's second headquarters, all of them have in common. Uh, a <clears throat> um, access to a variety of museums. Now that's one factor out of many, but for the, lifestyle. Type but for lifestyle, for the liberal arts, liberal arts are mm-hmm. incredibly important. So we need to embrace the liberal arts. We need to embrace STEM as well. It's not an either-or proposition. It is a both-and mm-hmm. proposition. Um, but to be an English major who is going to write the next great American play like Miranda that's a tough road to hoe uh 80 if 80 are failing that's a big number but he did it anyway and everything that he did every job that he took while he was writing this was geared toward how does this make me a better writer Mm -hmm. not i'm going to go work at firehouse subs because the only thing i can find no i'm going to take a job that tends to make me a better writer so he Went back to his school where he was considered a prodigy and went to be a substitute teacher. So here's this guy who was left a prodigy, comes back into his high school and they say, "Okay, be a substitute teacher." Yes. And he's substitute teaching English so that he can read papers, so he can write about papers, so he can mm-hmm. give feedback. He would he would take jobs uh, writing on shows, anything that he could do. But all, everything was geared toward what makes me a better writer. What gets me to, the th- to my end game? Yeah. And we need to get more students thinking about that. So do you share that story to show
0: that like that's what he was passionate about writing? So he figured out what it was, and he made
2: it work, and he took the time, yeah. and he, he did the work? Yeah, and, and depending on who you talk to, you'll have people say, don't follow your passion because the latest research shows that people who follow their passion do X. Or you hear people say, do follow your passion because the latest research shows X. Yeah. I don't know what the latest research shows, but why wouldn't you want to take the thing that you really you wake up every day and think about? Why wouldn't you want to try to make that your career? Uh, because if you do that, then you don't have a job; you have a uh, vacation that is also your vocation. Yeah, yeah. and that you is never work a day in your life. And you never <laughs> work a day in your life. And so, are you going to? Is it going to be difficult? Absolutely. Is it going to, are there going to be uh, failures along the way? Absolutely. But if you wake up every day and say, well, fresh start, time to start again, because you're not, you're not burdened by that failure. You're not uh, disappointed by it. You knew it was coming. You understood the risk, and you uh, will continually go out and make the best of it. You may have to go find side jobs to, to pay for that, but is that the thing that you want to do? Mm-hmm. And we, the universities need to be better at uh advocating for the liberal arts and advocating uh for taking those things that you want to do with your life and how do we uh how do we turn that passion into a uh career the the university
0: structure is something that Evan and I have talked a lot about both in person and on the podcast mm. and just how it could be better tailored towards individuals wants and needs and everything cuz I think, I think to both of us, and Evan probably a little more so, it just feels a little too siloed, a little too, you have to do this if you come here, whether that's a STEM major or mm-hmm. um, they felt like they fell into business because there's mm-hmm. nothing else to do, whatever it is. Um, it's it's yeah. just not dynamic like the rest of the world is right now.
2: Yeah. So uh, I just, uh, I'm one of three people that worked on redesigning the uh, Masters in Business at, at Eastern. And one of the things that we included to your point is a uh, three hours out of that curriculum that is a, uh, that is taken outside of the college of business is because mm-hmm. we do need to be more interdisciplinary. Uh, there are some things that when we, and we, when we build a curriculum for the MBA, it's not that we just said, well, here are some classes that we ought to put together. No, we went out and talked to, uh, we talked to our largest employers in the area. We talked to other universities. We looked at what the. Uh, it's called the American Association of Universities. The top, consider the top sixty-two uh, universities in the country are doing, and looked at their what is their program mix? What are the, what, are, what classes are they putting together? Uh, and so the classes that uh, uh, that are required for an MBA are pretty straightforward. There are some some uh, some things that we want to do. At Eastern, that was uh, the, different from those ones that we studied. One is to implement design thinking. Design thinking permeates through the curriculum. Uh, that's a big, uh, a big buzzword out in uh, Stanford. It originated out of Stanford, um, but a lot of companies are looking at how do we, how do we take an idea, how do we prototype it, how do we test it, and how do we get it to market. Uh, so we we embed design thinking throughout the entire curriculum. But we have this interdisciplinary piece, which is, you know, you're 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 wanting to get a master's in business, but here's a sports management option class, a master's, the master's program that we have in sports management, or psychology, or health, or English, whatever it is. There's 19 classes that we've identified. That said, mm-hmm. go out and and take those classes and incorporate it back into your major. So, I think that uh, uh, universities are trying to be better about uh, being more innovative in the classroom. The paradox of higher education is that most innovations come out of higher education, but that higher education itself is one of the least innovative places. Entirely yeah, Because that is true. we send you out to be innovative, and you are. Uh, but think about, think about universities. How do universities look different than it did in the 1700s? Uh, there's
0: a... Smart blackboard instead of old chalkboard that I don't use. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't use this. And in fact,
2: I would like to have the class with the chalkboard. I like chalk yeah. better than I do whiteboards. So I'm 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 kind of that way. Now I do use PowerPoints, but it's still me at the front. Yeah, students sitting in chairs um, and having it's a it's a it's a lecture. Now I'm always thinking about and looking at what other professors are doing to to improve improve the delivery of uh, that the education uh but uh currently for my money uh for me personally i enjoy i enjoy uh i enjoy having a big lecture hall i don't mind having 200 kids in Mm -hmm. the classroom doing that or i don't mind having uh 15 students around a table where we're sitting in a seminar type area i can do either one um but uh yeah it's i mean universities are uh, while they push out a lot of innovation, they are themselves uh, not very innovative inside, mm-hmm. inside the four
1: walls. Mm. And so, you know, over time, you know, that needs to improve, obviously, but how does that relate to the community and how do you keep that innovation in the community to grow? You know, for instance, Richmond or Lexington, mm-hmm. um, how do you keep the students there after they leave the university? How does Eastern do that? Yeah, how do, how do you make sure you retain... You know these students coming from UK or EKU, yeah. and make sure that they take those innovative skills that they learn in the classroom and apply them to the community.
2: Well, that's part of how. How do you improve that town-gown relationship? How how is the how do the University of Kentucky and the city work together to incentivize uh, graduating students to to stay in Kentucky? One of the things, and I'll give you a great example, is engineering. We have mm-hmm. in this state it is believed that we don't have enough engineers. We've got plenty of engineers. UK and U of L and Western, which are the three engineering schools, are, to my knowledge, they are uh, capped in their enrollments uh, for engineering undergrad. What we don't have enough of is firms that hire engineers. Yeah. So how do we incentive? How do we get those going back to the creating, you know, uh, understanding risk and creating your own job? How do we get those engineers to once they graduate to start their own firms? How do we get? How do we get larger firms like Stantec, for example? How do you get three or four of those engineers to spin off from Stantec and go off and start their own their own business? Those incentives really have to come from uh, the uh, the community. I think. I mean, the university can be uh, obviously a, a critical partner in that, but it has to be this combination of when we think about strategies, it has to be the university and uh, the community uh, moving along the same path, and it's not always easy to do because if you ask Mayor Gray and President Capilouto or you ask Mayor Barnes in Richmond or President Benson, they will say, hey, we've got a great relationship. Uh, Well, tell me how that's a great relationship. Well, tell me about the strategies that you're doing. In Richmond, I can talk specifically about those because we are working very specifically on those. I can't talk about that from a Lexington perspective, but I would imagine that uh, like Richmond, it can always be better. Yeah. Uh yeah. but certainly I've you know, last week you all had on your podcast uh the chief innovation officer for the city of Lexington. Was that even a position ten years ago? No. Or no, twenty years created ago. Created it for him. Created it for him, yeah, right? Yeah, he came yeah. from Brooklyn, right? They, yeah, yeah. So they created a position and then went out and got the talent. That's what that's what we need to do. When you look mm-hmm. at um uh, one of the things when I went to North Carolina and North Carolina State, when they were wanting talent. They just went out and got it. They said, Who's the best person at this? Let's go get them. And that's what they did. And that's what, that's what, uh, that's what in Kentucky, when we think about our talent, who's the best talent? Let's go out and get them. Uh, UK, uh, one of the things that uh, has not been uh, uh, approved by the legislature in the last several years of the funding for it is something called Bucks for Brains, which is what is, for UK and U of L specifically what are uh, uh, what are some sectors that the, the state would like us to to uh, uh, to be uh, accelerate our experience in or an expertise in and then let's go find those people that are doing the research in that area and literally steal them from other universities mm-hmm. Uh, through higher through what paying through there? through through uh, uh Bucks. Through this Bucks for Brains program, Bucks which is going out and, and here's some here's some money that we can match with the with the university to go out and pay for the Evan Knowles with his lab of you know twenty graduate students to come to Kentucky and work on the architecture. Yeah. Um, uh, he's you know, he's designing all the 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 big uh, uh, the big buildings for all the all the new startups in Austin, he's at UT Austin. Let's have him, let's take him and bring him to UK and let him do that here at UK. Yeah. Um, so that's something that we could uh, be better at is, look, identifying that talent saying, how do we package them coming to Kentucky? Because like you guys talked about last week, what are the advantages of being in Washington? Low cost of living, beautiful state, Yeah. right? Uh, tra- reliable transportation. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of factors that we need to be playing to our strengths. But what is the strategy behind that? For example, aerospace, number one export, right, in Kentucky. Yeah. 11 to $14 billion. We're behind Washington, but we're above California. You all are... I didn't know aer- it. Aerospace? Aerospace. I didn't so, know it. So not only did you not know it, now you can't tell me what the strategies were that got us there. And there are no strategies. It's been marked largely market because Kentucky is geographically placed to succeed in the aerospace. That's a combination of aviation and and um, aerospace. We've got in Kentucky, we are we are a day's drive from 80% of the population. So strategically yeah. we're in a good position. Mm-hmm. Okay, well what else is there? What are we doing? What are the strategies that that Lexington, that University of Kentucky, that the state are advocating and putting together to make sure that we stay number two. Not that we are just happen to be number two and we're going to fall back. No, we're going to stay ahead of California in perpetuity. How do we attract those people to come who are thinking about startups and aviation and aerospace? How do we get them to come to Kentucky and um, and plant themselves here? Kentucky has 800 firms that are related to aerospace. In really? Yes. 18 between 14 and 18,000 people are employed in the aviation and aerospace sector. What do we know about that? What are the strategies that put us there? And when we find out that there's not a lot of strategies that put us there. It's more about the, the market. That's great. It shows the market works, and you know we're we're pro capitalists and we're pro market. But how is that a strategy? We want to use to keep uh, uh, those. How do we how do we get those how do we get Evan to bring his wife and his three kids to come to Lexington and what are the things that have to be part of that makeup yeah. for you to move here so the university has to do that the city has to do that the state has to we have to all have to be uh, working uh, toward those same goals in, in some form or fashion that's crazy about the aerospace
1: didn't know that I uh, when I was in LA I met a gentleman named Jacob Ingram and uh, he was the president of a UK student body president, oh, yeah. a really well-known guy here in the UK, he was an engineer, worked for Lockheed Martin, and now he's working at SpaceX uh, mm-hmm. out in California. Mm-hmm. And so there's it's talent like that that left the state mm-hmm. who, you know, we wish we could have kept. You know, yeah. you know, he has great ties to Kentucky, but here he is in LA working yeah. for Elon Musk and SpaceX. Yeah.
0: UK really markets him, too. Like He's, oh, yeah. he's in all of the marketing material. Like, Super smart guy. Look at this guy. He came to UK, became student body president, and now works for SpaceX. And, yeah, that, that's a great story. And it, it's really cool that UK prepared him for, for such a great job. But they are marketing. Like, look, you could leave and go to California if you come to UK. Um, so I feel like the university, EKU, everyone, the city
2: um, – needs to embrace the opportunity that's here. Yeah. And I would, I would tell you, it is not the role of the university. This is a secret, so we won't tell anybody else except the three of us. It is not <laughs> our... Some little microphone. Uh, oh, oh that, that light's on. Uh, <laughs> uh, it is not our mission to keep students in Kentucky. Uh, that's not what we should, that's not what our mission is. But we should do everything we can to, to, uh, to make that possible, yeah, yeah, because if there isn't an opportunity in Kentucky, then if there aren't, if you have an engineering degree, because UK and U of L's placement, I think their placements easily above ninety five percent, maybe a hundred percent that they place these students because yeah. they got to send them somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. So UK Cap, President Capiluto is not going to say, "Well, if they're not in Kentucky, then no, we're not doing that. Yeah. We're going to send our best and our brightest," and that says a lot about Kentucky as a whole if we can send people out. So that that's also a benefit, but the more that we can, the, the more yeah. that we can keep people in Kentucky, and seventy five percent or more of Eastern graduates stay in Kentucky. Really, it's a it's a large percentage. Eighty nine percent of our student body is from Kentucky, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and we have large placement rates in health science and criminal justice. Uh, yeah. My my cousin uh, lives up in. Wisconsin and mm-hmm. she's thinking of coming to EKU for criminal science? it's 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 probably, if not the top program in the country, it's mm-hmm. easily top three. So yeah. That would be a that would be a good strategic move for her to come here for that program. So yeah. uh, we'll, we'll take her. <laughs> um, so let's kind of get into you know, the whole
1: theme of, of this series on the podcast is you know, long on Lexington. Mm-hmm um you've been in the lexington area you live in you live in Danville mm-hmm. uh you know you come to commute to lexington from the time you kind of have been around this area what have you seen grow most you know in lexington um, what's been you know your favorite part of
2: watching it grow well certainly the uh startup community is is growing uh so let me let me give a positive and then an area of uh of challenge and opportunity oh, always good to challenge uh that uh, one of the, and, and in fact, last week, the number of startups that are uh that Kentucky produces is, is a is a significant number. We rank very high in, in entrepreneurial startups. Yeah, how many of those are still in business a year or two or three years later? That's what that's what we don't focus on. And maybe those are still are you thinking tech startups or just small businesses? And well, I'm thinking of uh for Lexington,
1: I'm thinking of tech startups, yeah. Um <laughs> Because, for instance, Kentucky, uh, or Elizabethtown, rather, in Kentucky, which is where <laughs> I'm from. There was this article, I don't know if it was Forbes. No, it was like or... the official rank. It was yeah. like a government thing. Yeah, it was like an official rank of cities best for startups. Mm-hmm. Elizabethtown was the top three, I think.
0: Yeah, and it was number one. It was number Elizabeth one. Elizabethtown was number one. In the whole nation. It was 30,000 people. And there's so, not a single tech startup yeah.
2: from E-Town. There's hardly any. Yeah. Well, and, and Richmond is, <laughs> uh, according to a magazine called Site Selection Magazine, we rank fifth for what's com- called a micropolitan uh, area, which is a uh, city that has uh, less than or equal to about 50,000 people or this contiguous county has less than or equal to 10,000 uh, people. I can't remember the specific uh, detail, uh, But C- Richmond ranks fifth nationally. And when I told that to uh, some folks who are running for office this fall, and some business leaders in Richmond, I said. Uh, I, I imagine there was a whiteboard in front of me. I said, "Let's just shout out the reasons why we're at number five. Just go ahead. Just tell me what we've done." <laughs> and there was these big long pause. I said, "Just you know, throw them out to me at random. Just go ahead. Anybody, just yell them out." And nobody had anything, had anything. Because how how does how does Richmond get fifth? Danville's ninth. I, I have a little bit better understanding how Danville does it because Danville's very uh, intentional about how they're trying to attract business because they're not off a major interstate. They're they're 30 miles south of Lexington, uh, but there's, it's not, it's not a destination spot yeah. Danville necessarily. Yeah. Richmond and Lexington can be destination spots. So how are we, how are we taking advantage of that? We don't really know. Um, so, so yeah, we have a, we have a strong, uh, according to the data, we have a lot of startups, but how are they a year from now, two years from now, three years from now? I'm not really uh, sure about that. But you look at, there are three startups in Lexington of significant import. Uh, Fuji is one. Both of you work there, full disclosure. Uh, second one is uh, Space Tango, which is a company that uh, uh, performs microgravity experiments in space uh, using SpaceX as a partner to, to get to the International Space Station. But those Experiments are done on the International Space Station. That's the
0: only aerospace company I can
2: name in Kentucky. In Kentucky, space yeah. Thing. Well, so uh, uh, in Danville, Megad Industries uh, makes twenty mm-hmm. percent of the brake pads that are on all airplanes. Anything that flies in the air that has to land and, and has yeah. to break, uh, there twenty percent of those are made right oh, here, wow. in, right here in Kentucky. Right. So that's an example, isn't yeah. it, uh, Of of the of the uh, of the, um, the industry the industry in yeah. Kentucky. But you have Fuji, you have Space Tango, and you have Make Time. Mm-hmm. Those are three significant uh, companies, and they're all right here in Lexington. Yeah. That's great for Lexington. And. Uh, Make Time just got acquired. At Make Time just got acquired. Yeah. By. Zometry, I, I think. Yeah.
1: Zometry. Very similar company, marketplace. For, yeah. Yeah. But they're still sure. going to have offices here,
2: still yeah. going to be doing yeah. a lot and of and that's, great, and that's great yeah. because, you know, uh, uh, being acquired or doing a strategic alliance or a, mm-hmm. a partnership, all those things are good. So that's all good news. Yeah. Uh the challenge for this area is venture capital. We rank yep. uh very low in access to capital uh and the number of deals associated with it. Mm-hmm. So if you look at just and Evan I know that you've been out in California, you've been to Sil- you've been to Silicon Valley, yeah. have yeah.
0: Okay. Big Cali guy.
2: If we just take if we just take Sand Hill Road in uh Northern California, not just not a town, not a county, not a region, just one street mm-hmm. in uh, Silicon Valley. You have A16Z, you've got Kleiner Perkins, you've got um uh, R, uh RFJ. You've got all these firms that invest in uh, uh startups. Name the startups in name name the V C firms in Kentucky. I there's, can name like three. There's Bluegrass Angels. Yeah. There's Chrysalis Ventures, I believe. Yeah. What's the third? Global Equity Partnership, I think is what it's called. Okay. That's one. I've been doing a lot of research into this recently. Okay, so what are the uh, yeah. what have you, you you've so you, I mean, you found that the access to venture capital is is very limited. It is. There I mean,
0: I I've had a handful of meetings with people and I've gotten to the point where everybody is recommending I meet with everybody I've already met with. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a small community and mm-hmm. there's not that many people out there. So um it yeah, it's not there. Um I know there's one company that um, unfortunately it's kind of ceased operations here at Lexington Hydro. Um, if you've heard about them, Lamar Wilson mm. um, was the, the blockchain founder there. Okay. Yeah, blockchain invoicing. Um, they raised money on Sandhill, is it Sandhill Drive? Sandhill Road. Road. He literally flew out there and went door to door. Just because even going door to door at those places, he thought had more opportunity
2: than raising money locally. And And so you look at you look at Space Tango and Make Time and Fuji. Uh, the the initial seed investments for those for those firms were done by um, uh, individuals, accredited investors who were on their own, or people from outside the state. Uh, they weren't done by the uh, by the institutional BCs in the area, mm-hmm. and that's a that's an issue. We those. We need to have access to venture capital where someone can pitch an idea and you can, within minutes, understand if you're going to have someone uh, back you up, not months or weeks. It's got to be a lot faster than that, and we got to be able to, to make those risks. Out of 10 investments, nine of them are going to bust. Yep. You're going to have nine ideas that aren't worth the paper they're printed on but the one is going to finance, the, is going <laughs> yeah. to provide the returns for the investments you made in the tent. Yeah, uh, Mark Andreessen from A16Z, a uh, couple years ago, he gave a stat, uh, something of the effect of that they heard uh, the uh, 4,000 presentations they heard, uh, they put money uh, into uh, 200 of them and of those 200, uh, 15 Fifteen made money. Yeah. So of the, it's between two and four thousand of the thousands of pitches they heard, they put money into a couple of hundred of those, and out of those, of those couple of hundred, where their think tanks got together and said this is a worth putting money into, yeah. a fraction of those made their return. So, mm-hmm. uh, so when we think about this community, uh, particularly access to capital is a uh, is a big challenge. Yeah.
0: I think access to capital also gives people a safety net. Not that investment should be a safety net, but if, you know, in in Silicon Valley, the the thing is, oh, if you haven't failed at one or two startups, like, you don't have any experience. Mm -hmm. Um, I think people are, myself included, are are more afraid to fail here because it would be hard to turn around and do it again. You can do it again. Mm -hmm. Know that you, you have someone who will invest in your next idea and you can take a very modest salary or something. right. When you're out there and there's people everywhere clam- clamoring to invest, you're more willing to take the risk because there's all you can always give it another shot.
2: Well, and uh, Holden Thorpe, who is the he was chancellor at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, he's now provost at Washington University St. Louis, and he's a uh, a mentor of mine, someone I look up to. He was uh, he started a company based on uh, some of his research in uh, North Carolina and. Uh, the company, I believe the number was, they lost, was all said and done, they lost $40 million. He, he lost $40 million of his investors' money. Wow. Uh, <laughs> and thought, well, that's the end of that. And the investors came back to him and said, okay, that didn't work. What's your next idea? Yeah. And he said, uh, I lost a bunch of your all's money. And he, <laughs> they said, yeah, now you know not what to do. Or now you know what not to do. Yeah, and make it back up with the next and, one. And we we have, we have confidence that we'll make it back with the next one. Yeah. So it's that kind of uh, of that mentality of, you know, we think this is a great idea mm-hmm. um, because when you think about ideas, there's the way I look at it is there's three components: there's the founder, there's the product, and there's the market. Yeah. Uh, if you're doing something on the on the edge of innovation, like a Fuji, like a uh, Space Tango. What's the marketplace for those two things? When when the founders are having the idea? I'm not sure. Yeah. What's the product like? Well, it's a wireframe, it's an idea, and it's a concept in that person's mind. So so don't really know. So of those pieces, the founder, the product, and the market, you're put, you're all in on the founder. Yeah. Because you don't understand the market, because the market may not exist or it's a it's a nation market. The product is not fully formed. It's not even a good prototype yet. But what is the founder willing to do uh, to bring this to market? What is the idea maze that they have run that any objection that you might bring up, they've already thought about? And if they've done that, then that is a uh, good reason to to invest in a startup. If they can run the idea maze, then make the investment. Mm -hmm. If they haven't, then don't do it. But if they have, and every objection that you come up with, they have an answer for, then we need to be able to pull the trigger on on getting them started. And startups don't need $200,000. They need $10,000. Mm-hmm. They, just need to, they need to just get off the ground. They need to take that wireframe. They need to turn it into a product. They've got that concept on paper. They need to be able to manufacture it. Uh, we're not looking for hundreds of thousands of dollars. We're looking for uh, far less than that. So the transaction costs associated with with starting a company today are uh, are collapsing. I mean, mm-hmm. think about this podcast here. Yeah. Think about the tech that you all have in uh, in your office that allows you to do this to do this work. This wasn't available five, six, seven years ago. So those transaction costs are continuing to collapse. Recognize that. Recognize that it doesn't cost you as much to get started as it would have otherwise. And uh, venture needs to understand that as well. Yeah. What does it take? <clears throat>
1: what's the one thing, you know, you 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 educate a lot of students at EKU. Mm. Um, what's, in your opinion, the one trait that's most important for them to leave the university
2: and then become a startup founder? That's a good question. Uh, Angela Duckworth has a book called Grit and what she talks about in that, <laughs> oh, you got it right there, is the power of, of passion with perseverance. Uh, I would, uh, the, the student who is not who does not give up easily. Um, the challenge associated with higher education is that you have students who have come to college and they have not failed at a lot. If, even if they did fail, they got a participation trophy or they got an yeah. orange slice or they got something. Um, when you come to college, that that changes in a big way because now you're getting graded on your performance. And how do you rebound? How do you How do you adapt to... Uh, the assessment that your professor has given you of your performance. Uh, I had a conversation with a faculty member just this week about an email she got from a student who said, I don't do well in your exams because you introduced new material uh, the same day that we have an exam. And so I'm getting that confused with the old material. Well, that's really weak. Uh, That's that's a really pathetic excuse. Uh, Stop providing excuses uh just do your work. And so those people who can look at an uh, uh, look at an assignment, they can look at a syllabus, no other place do you get sixteen weeks ahead of time and say here's what we're gonna yeah. do over the next <laughs> sixteen weeks. I mean you yeah. all work at Fuji, has Greg or Eric ever said to you, look, I've got a project for you. You've got sixteen weeks to implement it. And just let me know how it goes every once. A... No, no. That doesn't I've got an idea or y'all come into the conference room, this is what we're getting ready to do, and I want that update on that thing that I said I wanted on Tuesday and I want it today. And you've got to be able to adapt to that, um, and that's that, that ability to adapt uh, and persevere and always be able to, uh, no matter how many times that you get knocked down, how many times can you get back up? That's yeah, that's uh, that will be the successful student.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's Definitely. awesome you picked that book because in that book she did the exact same study of the question I just asked: What does it take mm-hmm. for these students coming out of college to really be successful? what separates the successful ones from the others. And she did this huge study on, you know, talent. You know, how important is that? Mm-hmm. Um, and all these other range, you know, this wide range of different aspects. But grit was the one that she tracked back to all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's, you know, awesome
2: you mentioned that book and I you know, pulled it out here, but well, I, I think you're right. You know, take, some, take a look at, uh, let's go back to Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yeah. Uh, he's incredibly talented. He He got a... Uh, MacArthur uh, Genius Scholarship. He's considered a genius. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, uh, there aren't enough superlatives that you can say about him. You, you follow him on Twitter for a day, and, and you think, man, I, I, my, my brain didn't work that way. Yeah. But nobody, nobody came to Lynn Manuel Miranda's apartment and said, "Hey, we heard about you. Yeah. We heard about your talent." <laughs> we're, we're we 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 came busting down your door. No, he had to go out.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: and so nobody's going to come into your dorm room. Nobody's going to come into your apartment. Nobody's going to come to your where you start your business. say we've heard about you. You're awesome. Yeah, in fact, we're going to move our entire operation here so that we can be closer connected to you. No, nobody's going to mail you a check. That's not a, that's not a career you're going to have to go out and you're going to have to prove yourself and you're going to get rejected and people are going to say no and they're going to do it over and over again. It's going to take you seven years to write that play. It's going to take, It's got an 80% failure rate. Everybody's going to tell you that, that can't happen. A, a, a hip-hop uh, theater production, that will not work. Well, turns out that if Hamilton was only in New York, which it's not. It is based in now in Chicago. There's one in Los Angeles. There's one in Denver, I think. Mm-hmm. There's going to have one in London. So it's, it's, it's going a lot of places. They're building some tent, too. The Hamilton
0: tent. Mm-hmm. It's going to be like a permanent experience somewhere. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I forgot
2: where. Well, just consider that if it just stayed in New York. Yeah. Uh, and if that's all he had ever done. He didn't write the soundtrack for Moana. He didn't, uh, get, uh, he didn't write the Hamilton book that was a, a big seller. He didn't do the Hamilton mixtape. He didn't do any of that other stuff. If he just had the Hamilton uh, play and he just made money off that, he would be a multi-millionaire for the rest of his life. He, the money he's getting off that production is going has made him a millionaire for the rest of his life. But it didn't. It. it it extrapolated. Yeah, it had legs past that, and it's because he never gave up on that idea. And he made sure to translate it into the next thing. And he, and he, yeah. and he's not resting on his laurels. He's doing what's the next thing? What's the next thing? And now he's mm-hmm. directing uh, uh, a movie based on the life of uh, Jonathan, Jonathan Larson, who wrote Rent. Um, you know, he's doing something else. But but when he was writing Hamilton, the Richard Rogers Theater didn't come to him and say. Lynn, we know you're doing this. We're waiting for you to yeah. get that done and we're gonna snatch that right up. They didn't do that. Greg and Eric, nobody went to Eric, Greg and Eric said, hey, we've heard a rumor that you're starting a new company after you just failed. We can't wait to jump on board with that. That didn't happen. They had to go out and they had to raise money and they had to run the idea maze and they had to have a lot of false starts and a lot of bad uh, a lot of bad meetings and a lot of people tell them no and uh they survived and they flourished and so uh when we think about that for students if there's one thing that i can that i can kind of imbue in them as they uh leave the university is that it's going to take uh it's going to take grit it's going to take perseverance it's going to take determination it's going to take intention and uh, nobody's going to give it to you